Hi, this is Pastor Joshua Morocco, and you are listening to our King's Central Podcast. I hope you get encouraged. I hope the Word of God brings transformation to your life and empowers you. Thank you so much for joining us. Enjoy the Word. Hey, take your Bibles. Thank you so much. And turn with me to Matthew chapter 27, verses 51 through 53. We've been doing a series entitled, It's Time to Grow Up. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's time to grow up. A very unusual verse of scripture today found in Matthew 27. If you have that passage, say, I got it. Wow, you guys are ahead of me. It's probably on the wall. Yeah, thanks. I'm still trying to find it in my Bible. All right. I think we got it. Let's try it. Starting to read at verse 51. Let's start at verse 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked and the rocks were split. And the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection... They went into the holy city and appeared to many. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. It is a lamp. It is a light upon our life. I thank you that you are going to give us revelation today that will help us navigate through life. So I pray for a special anointing to come on me. Come on, people. Let's pray in the Holy Ghost. Spirit of the living God, come in power, come in might. I pray, O God, you would move upon me today. Give me a tremendous freedom to share your word as you put it in my heart. And I pray the same for your people. May a wonderful, gracious working of your spirit come upon each one under the sound of my voice. Whether they're on the, uh, uh, out in the parking lot or here in person or whether they're on the streaming. Lord, we pray that you would minister life to each one. Give them ears to hear, a heart to respond, and eyes to see. We'll be sure to give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We've had so many people that have died as a result of COVID. And the question that oftentimes comes in the last moments as you are realizing that your loved one may be leaving this life is what happens when somebody dies? What happens when we die? Do we go out like a light? We cease to be? Or do we get reincarnated in some other life form? Or do we get absorbed in some kind of nebulous shadow of existence like a drop of water falling into the sea? There's a lot of theories. The question is, what's true? Well, I believe God speaks, and he's spoken to us through the Word of God, through through the Bible, and through, of course, through Jesus himself, who is the living Word. The Bible is the written Word. Jesus is the living Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. goes on to share there in John Word. John 1, chapter 1, that, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, 
full of grace and truth. It's talking about Jesus. He is the living word. So if the written word and the living word speaks to us about what happens after we die, we can rest assured that is what will be happening. So what does the Bible have to say about what will happen? Well, the Bible has a clear answer. There is a resurrection in your future. And there is a judgment in your future. I'm going to be talking this morning about the resurrection that is in your future. Tonight, I'll be talking about the judgment. I hope all of you will come because it'll make the difference between how you live today and what will take place in all of eternity. We've begun a new series, as I've said, entitled, It's Time to Grow Up. And we began to focus on two passages of Scripture for those of you that haven't been with us. The first was in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. And it says this, Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who, by constant use, have trained themselves to distinguish between good and evil. Here we see that he's talking about what does it mean to be grown up? What does it mean to be mature? He says you will know that you're mature spiritually when you can distinguish and discern between good and evil. And they say, well, I know that. (laughs) Yeah, I wish it was that simple. There's a lot of deception in our world. And that is why you have to be in the Word. That's why you need to be in a fellowship of believers that continually encourage you in the direction of what God is saying. But secondly, you'll notice that it's also mentioned in Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 15. It was He who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to, to prepare God's people for works of service. And then it goes on to say, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach in the unity of the faith in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. It's the same word, teleos, in the Greek that the writer of Hebrews mentions. Attaining to the full measure of the fullness of Christ attaining to become like Christ. So here in the book of Ephesians, we've discovered that maturity is not just discerning between good and evil. It's knowing God intimately. It's doing. So everybody say to know, to do, and to be, to be like Christ, to know him intimately, to do what he's called us to do. In fact, the whole job of the church is to equip the saints, you and me, for the work of ministry. And then finally, to be shaped into the very image of Christ. Now, that's what growing up means in God. And so we began then to talk about not only growing up, but we began to talk about certain things that allow us to grow up. We looked at the thought there in Ephesians 4 and 5 of putting off the old man and putting on the new. We began to look at Hebrews chapter 6, which talks about elementary school, if you will, for the believer. There are certain things you should know, and we talked about how it's easy for a person to go through our entire educational system 
and come out not being able to read or do basic math. It's a tragedy, but it's true spiritually as well. You have people that have been in church for for decades and yet know very little about some of the basic things in God. And so the writer of Hebrews tells us a number of those basic things. In fact, you can turn there if you'd like to Hebrews chapter 6 and you can read it for yourself. Why don't you turn there? It'll be good for you. It's always good to let get into the word yourself. You got a cell phone. All you got to do is put Hebrews 6 on it, verse 1. And there you go. I got to use these, this new Bible my wife bought me, and it's hard to change the pages. It's a new King James version, and it's big type, so I can read it. And she got me a new King James version, because that's the only version they have up there. I can't believe it. But listen to what it says. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptism and of the laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. So I thought if we're going to mature, we better go look at those elementary things too. So we've already talked about, as you know, repentance and faith in God. And we've already talked about baptisms and the laying on of hands. So today we're going to talk about resurrection this morning and judgment tonight. You're going to get the whole full thing. You'll pass elementary school. So let's take a look at resurrection of the dead. The concept of resurrection begins in the Old Testament. And uh, there are three basic passages in the Old Testament that talk about the resurrection of the dead. The first one is Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. In fact, it is the clearest expression of individual resurrection in the entire Old Testament. Let me read it to you. Daniel 12, 2, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. So here you read from Daniel that everyone, anyone who's ever lived will resurrect. That means Hitler will be there, Ganges Khan will be there. Every person who's ever lived will rise again. Secondly, you read from Job 19, 25 through 24, 7. I know that my Redeemer lives. Somebody ought to get excited. And that in the end, he will stand upon the earth. Now, this is Job. Listen to what he says. And after my skin has been destroyed, yes, yet in my flesh, he's talking about his physical body, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. Wow. And he goes on to say, my heart yearns for this within me. Wow. This is the Old Testament talking. You'll read Isaiah 26, 19, but your dead will will live. Their bodies will rise. You who dwell in the dust, wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning, the Earth will give birth to her dead. There's a number of passages in the Psalms as well. And you'll notice that when Jesus walked this earth, there was a controversy going on between two groups of Judaism. 
One were the Pharisees and the others were the Sadducees. Now the Pharisees believed these verses that I just read and they believed in a resurrection of the dead. But the Sadducees didn't. That's why some people have said that's why they were sad, you see. They didn't believe in a resurrection. Now, it's interesting that they try to trap Jesus, these Sadducees, try to trap Jesus in their, in their interesting mental gymnastics, which they'd, they tried to confuse everybody, except it didn't work on Jesus. Everybody turn with me to Matthew 22, because it's fascinating what they said and what Jesus' response to them was. It's Matthew 22, verses 23 through verse 32. The same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brothers. Now, there were with us seven brothers. The first died after he had married, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third, and even to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife is this, will, of the seven will she be? For they all had her. Now listen to that crazy gymnastic reasoning. Now listen to Jesus. Oh, this is so cool. Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God, everybody say this for me, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Jesus just told them, you guys are stupid. You don't know a thing. There's no giving and taking in marriage in heaven. And God's the God of the living, not the dead. Wow. Well, you say, well, well wait a minute. Stop here just a second, Pastor. I, I don't understand something. Look. Um, why is there a necessity for a resurrection? I mean, hello, this body is going to decay. Why would we want to have another body? Why can't we just be a soulless, bodiless individual? Uh-huh, good question. Well, you have to understand the plan of God. God's plan, when Adam and Eve sinned, and he brought his son into the world millennia later. Jesus came to undo everything that was lost when Adam and Eve sinned. Now think about what happened. God said to Adam, the day you eat of the fruit, you will surely die. Now, when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, sin entered our universe and death came with it. And look at what happened. Immediately, there was psychological death. They felt fear. They hid, remember? 
They, they felt guilt. They knew they'd done wrong. And there was separation. They both realized they were naked and tried to clothe themselves. So you see psychological death, sociological death. And then you'll notice there was spiritual death. They were, they were taken out of the garden, no longer able to eat of the tree of life. But the final thing that began to happen, the last two things, is that there was physical death. Now, it didn't happen immediately. It took a period of time, but Adam died, and so did Eve. And we've died ever since. Now, you'll notice one other thing. There was ecological death. In fact, now there were thorns and thistles. Now there was difficulty in working the fields. And now the animals no longer were under the control that they once were. And on and on. And our universe, Paul talks about it, groans for the time when there will be ultimate redemption. When, when you and I receive our glorified bodies at the, and at the end of time, when all of time is wrapped up, it tells us that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Now, you say, well, then why do we still need a new body? Because everything that Jesus did, he did to undo all the evil Adam and Eve did. So when he comes into a life, what does he do? He plants his spirit in us, and we now have spiritual life, no longer spiritually dead, but we are alive in Christ. He comes in us and he gives us a new mind, the mind of Christ. He creates a whole new world, the church, where we relate to one another no longer as slaves, no longer as free men, no longer as Jews or Gentiles, no longer as male and female. We relate to one another as family, the brothers and sisters, all bought by the blood of Christ, a brand new sociology, if you will made up of every race and culture and age group. Wow. But the final thing, the final thing, mm, is that there will come a moment when, (laughs) oh, I like this, we'll have a new body. That which physically had died will be given to us brand new. In fact, listen to what Paul writes here. It's quite fascinating to me. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, or read it from the screen since it's faster that way. And it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Everybody turn there for for a moment. In fact, I may just have to read it off the screen if they got it up there. They got it up there yet? All right. They probably left the crow's nest, and I'm on my own. All right. 1 Corinthians 15. Here we go. Listen real closely. Are you still with me? Look at verse 51. If you got it, say, I got it. All right. I'll get it here in a second. 51. Here we go. Are you ready? Verse 50 says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall, all, we shall not all sleep, 
That means we shall not all die, but we shall be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This body that's corruptible, that dies, must put on something that doesn't die. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible, this old body, has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall it be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death, the death, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody ought to be excited. So, the final working of Christ will be when he gives us a new body. Now, you say, well, pastor, what about a believer? We know that everyone will rise from the dead, but a believer's resurrection is different than the unbeliever. Yes, that's absolutely so. Because Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. So he's saying for the believer, the moment you receive Christ and you believe on him, eternity begins then. It doesn't start when you take your last breath. It begins the moment you believe. Eternal life begins to flow in you. And that's found, of course, in John eleven twenty-five. You'll notice that for the believer, uh, Jesus is dying on the cross and a thief there in Luke 23, 43, says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Does anybody remember what Jesus said? Today, everybody say today. You will be with me in... Now, all of a sudden, you begin to realize something. There's a distinction between those who die in the Lord and those who don't. Those who don't know the Lord, they die and they go to a place of torment. They go to a prison, if you will, to wait for judgment. Now... Stop for a moment. Let me tell you what I mean here. Our prison system is very different than ancient prison systems. In our prison system today, if you do a crime, you have to spend a certain amount of time in prison. That's the punishment, right? Depending on the crime and depending on, on how important our culture thinks something is or not. It's funny to me. Well, it's not funny. It's grievous to me that a person who steal something can end up being in prison longer than a person who rapes somebody. That's because we've got too many people that have an idol called sex. And people are just things. And they abuse them. Makes me angry. There was a time if you raped somebody, you got killed. But we've got too many people that want to sow their wild oats and release their lusts, so they change laws to accommodate them. But we do, interestingly enough, 
we put somebody in prison, right? That didn't happen in ancient times. In ancient times, you went to prison to wait for judgment. When you were judged, you were immediately sentenced, and the sentence was carried out. Period. That was it. That's the system in the Bible. A person who dies outside of Christ goes into a place of great torment. Jesus warned people. He said, look, it would be better for you if your right hand offends you to cut it off than to go through life and end up going to hell. He said, it'd be be- if your right eye offends you, it would be better for you to pluck your eyes out and go through life with only one eye than to go to hell. That is why he came. He knew the judgment that awaited people. So they would go into this place of torment until the time when they would be resurrected in a physical body and stand before the Lord on judgment day. We'll talk about that tonight. But the believer, interestingly enough, the moment the believer dies, they're ushered into the presence of the Lord. Oh, come on, somebody ought to get excited. You say, wait a minute, Pastor, how do you know that? Well, we know it very clearly by the words of Jesus. And by when he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And also by the words of the Apostle Paul. In Philippians 1.21, he says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he begins to tell the Philippian church, I have a problem. I want to stay with you, but in reality, I'd rather be with the Lord. Because when I'm absent from my body... I'm present with the Lord. He says the same thing in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 6, 7, and 8. He says um, that when we're absent from the body, we are present with the Lord. He says there in Philippians 1.21, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Both of them specifically tell us that the moment the believer dies, they're ushered in the presence of God. Are you still with me? Oh, somebody ought to be excited. I'm looking forward to that day. There's going to be a welcoming party for all of us. Of course, all of us want to see Jesus, but my dad's there, my mom's there, my grandma, my grandpa's there. My, um, my brother and sister are there. And uh, if, uh, if I live longer than them, they'll all meet me at the pearly gates, plus a lot of this congregation. They'll be there too. They'll say, hi, pastor. <laughs> and you know, dementia won't rob me anymore. I'll know everybody's name. I will feel so impressed. That I know everybody's name, all of them that have ever been in this church, the thousands that we've had the privilege of ministering to. Now, say, that is awesome. It is awesome. What a, what a marvelous, marvelous, marvelous thing. You see, in the New Testament, when Jesus rose from the dead, he became the first born of the dead, Colossians 1.18, and in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, 
it says he's the first fruits of them who has risen. Now that means that when Jesus arose, all of a sudden, now all who believe in him will one day arise as well. Now that brings us then to something of grave importance. And that is the text that we've been looking at. And you say, I was hoping you'd get to that text, Pastor, because it's very strange. Yes, it is. Do you have all the answers? No. Do you have a lot of questions? Yes. But we do know some things, so let's take a look at the text. So here's the picture you're seeing. Jesus has just breathed his last. The moment he breathes his last, and it's one word, it's a cry of victory. So that cry of victory, the moment he says it, and his spirit departs from him, there's a great earthquake that happens. Now, here's what's so amazing. Are you still with me here? I love history, because history reaffirms some things you may not even know it does. But I got to have a drink. Hold the line. In history, it tells us that, for example, the Roman historian Tacitus, who's writing in the first century, tells us that there was a great earthquake that happened. So does Josephus, who's a Jewish historian writing in the middle part of the first century, says this great earthquake happened. And even rabbis write it in their writings that a great earthquake happened. And do you know what date it happened? It happened 40 years before the destruction of Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. So 40 years before would have been what? Year 30 AD. If Jesus was born in 3 BC, which many people believe that is the case, or even a little earlier, you would have had this earthquake happening at the very moment when Jesus breathed his last breath. So great was that earthquake that a part of the roof of the temple fell off. The big bronze gates opened themselves. And it was at that moment that the temple curtain between the Holy of Holies and the holy place ripped from top to bottom. Now, all of that had tremendous significance. In fact, um, rabbis tell us, this is interesting, the rabbis who wrote at that time tell us that there was a, a tremendous shaking. There was a noise and a loud cry. Now, this is... I'm not saying this. These are rabbis at the time who wrote it. A loud cry that said us, let us remove hence. Let's get out of here. Now, you know, it could very well be that is why the whole picture of the temple, God no longer dwelt in that temple. He would now dwell in human lives who believed on his son, Jesus. Now, I love history when it confirms the very things scriptures talk about. Now, what is amazing here is that the earthquake then broke tombs. Now, 
If you've ever been to Israel, I hope you all go. We're planning to go again. We had to cancel our trip in October of this year because of the COVID situation, but we're looking to go in August of next year. And uh, if you've ever had a chance to go, you'll see out in front of the city of Jerusalem all of these graves. In fact, they're built right in front of the eastern gate. (laughs) I, I won't get into why, but... It's fascinating. And you see some of these large kind of mausoleum type structures. Now here's what it says. When that earthquake happened, the graves were open. And the graves were open. And the graves of the saints, many of the saints. Now these are people that were persecuted by the religious group. And yet the next generation honored them by building these great mausoleums. These things cracked open, their bodies came out, and when Jesus rose from the dead, they woke up and they walked into the city. And many people saw them. You go, that's weird. And what happened to them? Did they go back into the grave and cover themselves up? I'll tell you at the end of the message. At least I'll tell you my idea. Are you still with me? And you say, well, pastor, that is the strangest thing. What is that about? Well, I believe God's speaking to us today through this story. Because everybody turn to your neighbor and say, you have a destiny. You see, as a believer... We can look forward to God's new life. We are going to have a resurrected body. The end is not the end for the believer. It is only the beginning. And because of Christ's victory over death, death has lost its terror. The tyranny of death and evil ended when Jesus rose from the dead. And those bodies that came back to life of the Old Testament saints is a powerful picture of how death was destroyed through the life that came in the resurrection by the life of Christ and in his resurrection. And literally a new age is dawned. And that new age is 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 an age of life instead of death, victory instead of defeat, kingdom power that's released through God's saints to change the world and defeat the devil. But the most important and most exciting thing is that finally all of the tentacles of sin and death will be broken off and we'll have a new body. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. I won't have to worry about this anymore. Loss of hair, those arthritic pains, and all the other things that come with age. You look in the mirror and you wonder, who in the world is that? I told you about I had to have uh, surgery on my eyes, you know. They got rid of cataracts. It was an unusual experience. Because the day they took the cataracts out, I, I looked at my hands. 
And there were spots all over my hand. They weren't there before. It's just I couldn't see them. And I looked in the mirror. And you know, when I had cataracts, I looked young. But now I could see myself. Think about it. We're going to have a new body. You say, oh, that's awesome. What's it going to be like? Well, the scriptures tell us. It tells us there in 1 John 3, 2, that we shall be like him, for we shall see him as as he is. Oh, my. In fact, Paul writes in Philippians 3, 21, he says, who will transform our lowly body. Uh, And uh, it is so. And we'll have a glorious body instead. We'll be like Jesus. We'll have a body like Jesus. You think about that. You know, after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples that were in an upper room and they were afraid. And he walks right through the walls. And he appears to them. They freak out, of course. And he says, look, I'm not a ghost. It's really me. You can feel me. And you go, wait a minute. How could they feel him and he could go right through the wall? Well, I don't know a lot about molecular structures, but I do know that if my molecular structure in my hand was a little different than the molecular structure that held up this pulpit, I could put my hand right through it and I wouldn't even have to learn karate. Somehow the glorious body, molecular structure, it's physical body, but it's different. In fact, Jesus ate fish with them because he wanted to make sure they knew He was real and alive. He ate fish. I've often wondered, well, when he disappeared, what happened to the fish? When he went through the wall, did it stay on the wall or did it? He's got a real body. You'll have a real, a brand new real body. No more aches, no more pain. You'll say, well, I look good. Well, you know what's interesting is that if, if the scripture is correct that we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. How old was Jesus when he went, when he died and rose from the dead? Anybody know? 33. So my theory is, when I get to heaven, I'll be 33. Oh, I'll be skinny again. I'll have lots of hair and a mustache, which I had at 33. Long sideburns. I'm going to be cool. The funny thing about it is I'm going to run into my father-in-law who died at 100. Now, I remember him at 100. I don't remember him at 33. But I'll run into him and he'll be 33. I go, whoa, man. And my grandma, my grandma, when she died, she weighed over 300 and some pounds. Huge woman. She married a slight, small man, my grandpa, because he married her because he wanted big children. Well, they got big children. (laughs) But they'll be 33. They'll come up to me. Hey, hi, grandson. Who are you? Of course, in heaven, we'll know all things. We won't have dementia. We'll know people who'll meet us at the pearly gates. And I'll be grandma and grandpa and your relatives. Amazing, isn't it? And those of you that have lost children in death, they don't, they they grow. 
Never forget a, a, a sister in my church when we were in the skating rink. This is years and years ago. I had um, I'd been preaching about inner healing that morning, if I'm not mistaken. And at the end of the service, she came up to me and she said, God gave me a revelation. She was weeping as she shared this with me. She said, you know, uh, when I was in the world, I had an abortion. And um, it had haunted me. It haunted me all the way up until this Sunday. She said, this Sunday I had a vision. And God gave me a vision. I was ushered into heaven. And I saw Jesus. And standing next to Jesus was a little girl. And Jesus introduced me to my daughter. And uh, she said, I, he healed me today. She's waiting for me in heaven. I thought. They, it was the exact age of what she would have been if she'd been born. I don't know about all this stuff. There's not everything the Bible tells us. But I'll tell you what, it's going to be a great day with our resurrected bodies. Now you say, well, Pastor, how, how, how does this work? Um, listen, um, uh, when do we get this resurrected body? Well, you know, uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Verse 14, it says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. So here's the point. He says, When the Lord returns, those who are in heaven with him, believers that went to be with him the moment they died, they will come with him. So that's the moment. Now, there's two ways I see the resurrection body happening. It could very well be the moment we slip from this life into the next life, we get a resurrected body then because Jesus has a resurrected body and he's in heaven still with the scars. You are aware he's the only one in heaven with scars. You know that, don't you? All of our scars will be healed. We'll have an, we will be brand new. He's the only one who has scars because forever, all eternity... It will be a declaration of what he did for all of humanity. Now think about this. So, are you still with me? It could be that we get our glorified body when we get to heaven. Or it could be that when we return with him, the moment we enter the physical realm, we get a glorified body. And we'll rule and reign with him for a thousand years on planet earth with a glorified body. You have a destiny. And it is huge. It is huge. I mean, it is absolutely huge. That should make all of us desire to live for the Lord our whole life. You know, when Paul talks about, in 1 Corinthians 15, when he talks about the glorious body that we will have, 
He says something very fascinating at the end of his statements about the fact that death, where's your sting, oh Hades, where's your victory? He tells us that we will be, he says, therefore my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. He says, because you will come into the very presence of God, nothing of what you've ever done for the Lord will be lost because he keeps good books. Wow. Now you may say, well, pastor, what's going to happen? What about those dead saints you promised you'd tell us what you thought about was going to happen to them? Anybody want to hear? Well, forget it. I ain't going to tell you. Anybody want to hear? Now, let me, let me throw something out there. This is just a Dr. Morocco special. Did you know in the Old Testament there are, there are pictures of the rapture of the church? Before the flood, there was a man by the name of Enoch who never faced death. And he walked with God and God took him. It's a picture of the rapture. Elijah, in the, New, in the Old Testament after the flood... He didn't see death. A chariot of fire came and took him. Picture of the rapture. And, of course, the Bible tells us that we, we who are alive when the Lord returns, we will be caught up to meet him in the air. Could it be that those dead saints who were seen by people in Jerusalem was another example of a rapture? Because I cannot see them going back into their graves and covering up their graves and re-cementing the cracked grave and saying, okay, i got to go back there now. No, 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 no. The resurrection power had hit them. They were declaring something. You say, what do you mean? What were they declaring? They were declaring that the Old Testament saints who hoped in Messiah. Remember the story Jesus gave of Lazarus, the poor man and the rich man? And he said that both of them died and Lazarus went into the bosom of Abraham. Both of them went to a place called Sheol. It's the place of death. Now, interesting thing about it is that however, Jesus saw two compartments in, in, in this place. One was the place where the righteous went, Allah, Lazarus, and Abraham. And the other place of torment, where the rich man went. And the rich man cries out to Lazarus, Abraham, and says, Please have Lazarus dip his finger in some water and, and touch my tongue. Now, it's a parable. It's a story. But I think the story gives us a picture that there was in Sheol a very clear compartment. The saints who rose was a declaration that at the moment of the resurrection... Those Old Testament saints who hoped in Christ were immediately ushered into his presence, into heaven, the place where we will go the moment we die as well. And I also believe that just as Elijah and Enoch were caught up, when they were seen by many in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, they were ushered into heaven. Never to go back to their graves. 
It was a prophetic picture of what awaits us. Now, when you think about what awaits us, my goodness, you can walk through fire. You can walk through any pandemic. You can walk through any situation because you realize, wait a minute. I have a destiny. It's not the grave. It's being in the presence of God. So that makes me want to live for him with all I've got. None of us know how much time we have. But I've come to this conclusion, the older I get and the closer I come to the point where my homebound moment will happen, that while I still have life, I'm going to do everything in my power to be certain that all the gifts he's given me, all of the talents he's given me, anything he's given me will be used for his glory, honor, and praise. Because I have a destiny, and that destiny isn't this place. It's my home with my Lord. Stand to your feet. Lift both hands in the air. Come on, let's praise Him. And let's thank Him. Lord, we praise You. I hope the Word encouraged you. Thank you so much for joining us here on the King Central Podcast. God bless you. Walk in power and walk in the fullness of that which God has given you.